1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. As usual, I am the host, the Bear of Texas, reporting live from an undisclosed location deep in the heart of Texas. Let's proudly welcome to the show for the first time, Josh McSwain. He is the host of the All Football Podcast, which is available on Spotify as well. You can also follow it on social media. They tune in for weekly shows. You will love their show. Josh, welcome to Into the Net FC. You ready to kick the ball around? Definitely. Well, let's get right to it. We are the pitch, and the 90-minute thing is underway. Well, so far, it's been an interesting Premier League season. But unfortunately, this past weekend, match day 12 out of 38... Very surprising results, and if you listen to the last show, I have my, my usual guest and my friend and mentor, Steve, we made our predictions, and I can also say this is another week where most of the predictions were made quite incorrectly.
2: Yeah, that's been known to happen. It's 2020, so what's new? <laughs>
1: 2020, and it's about to come to an end, and goddammit, I cannot wait for it to come to an end.
2: Yeah, it's certainly had a lot of things happening. How 2020 is it though that Tottenham is currently at the top of the table? Though,
1: well, let's be honest. I, I know everybody loves to make fun of Tottenham, but we cannot deny the fact that Tottenham does in fact have superior talent. I mean, personally, for me, I was I'm not a fan. I'm not a huge fan, obviously, of, of Jose Mourinho. But despite the differences, there's no point in denying that he is, in fact, one of the greatest coaches of this generation. I know that he has a habit at times of, quote, parking the bus. But he is doing a good job, so I'm not going to deny the fact that he does deserve credit for it. But, yes, Tottenham, currently seven wins, four draws, one loss, but they are tied with Liverpool with 25 points. And you know what? This all could have changed last weekend because Tottenham, that's the first incorrect prediction... Tottenham suffering a draw against Crystal Palace, followed by Liverpool suffering a draw to Fulham, which which could have been a loss. So, it's just been a bad weekend, hasn't
2: it? Yeah, it's just been really unpredictable. Liverpool had a draw against Brighton a couple weeks ago, and it just makes you wonder what's going on with Klopp's crew. Are they just kind of sleepwalking right now?
1: Well, what we have to keep in mind is the injury bug has really bitten him big time. I mean, today it was it was learned that Diogo Jota would be out for, I believe, six to eight weeks. Uh, Jurgen Klopp confirmed it this morning, I believe.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, he has been a contributor since coming over from Wolves in the transfer window. Yeah.
1: Liverpool just knows how to make the good investments. I, I just wish that uh, our club, Manchester United could cash in well with the investments. I mean, the Bruno Fernandez investment is, is working out quite well, but over the years, it has not worked quite out quite well. Like Romelu Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, just to name a few, and obviously the Harry Maguire deal is not working out. It's just been bad luck for the Red Devils' case.
2: Yeah, they've certainly had some swings and misses. Sanchez was an absolute disaster.
1: I mean, is it fair to say he's officially ranked the worst signing in Manchester United history?
2: Um, you know, that's a great question. I haven't followed every signing they ever made in the club's history because they were here well before I was ever born. But certainly in recent memory, I would say that Sanchez has to be the worst comes to mind immediately.
1: Well, I guess in, in the case of you and me, in our lifetime, Sanchez definitely has to be the worst. But as I'm looking at the results, let's, let's go ahead and start with... Well, since we're speaking of, of our club, Manchester United, the Manchester Derby, well, it didn't end the way I... Okay, there was a the way I I picked it would go, and there was a the way that I wished it would go. What I wished is I would wish Manchester United would win convincingly. That certainly did not happen. On the bright side... I don't, I don't even know if this is a, if this is considered a win for Manchester United because they were able to hold on a powerhouse team like Manchester City to a 0-0 draw at home. But the fact of the matter is, Josh, Manchester United could have won this game.
2: Yeah, they certainly had their chances to score, but they just couldn't finish. It just looks like the only guy on the team that can finish right now is Edison Cavani.
1: He was not in the starting lineup, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, he was not. I don't know if that was anything to do with his social media post from a couple weeks back, but I don't think it ever was.
1: I I doubt it because, quite frankly, I have heard absolutely nothing about it. I mean, the only thing I've heard about this supposed post was like a few minutes after the game where he had a brilliant performance where where he scored the game-winning goal. Other than that, it's been absolutely nothing, so I doubt it. I I guess uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just... Obviously, made a mistake, did not, did by not putting him in. But quite frankly, it turned out to be costly. But from what I understand, is Manchester United was denied a penalty in this game too?
2: Uh, yeah, I think you're referring to the Rashford play where he was deemed offside. I think it was clear that Rashford was offside in that situation, though. So, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure
1: that you know, even if we had converted, you know. All over social media, everybody would just kind of say Manchester United gets lucky again with the VAR on their side. I mean, so I'm like, at least, at least we were spared that.
2: Yeah, there is that. Although, on my podcast, AJ and I have a term for those hometown decisions. He, he calls them Johnny calls. Said it was a colloquialism he inherited from his father. So,
1: well, the yeah, way he I describes guess it makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah, so I guess we avoided the Johnny call for this week.
1: <laughs> unfortunately, but, but then again, at, at least Manchester United did not take a win from us at Old Trafford on the cooler side of Manchester, might I add. That's just me being a Man U fan. But also, we're still one point ahead of Manchester City, and Manchester United is, is in eighth place. You know, it's Unfortunately, you know the likes of Everton, West Ham, Chelsea are right above them, and amazingly, Southampton... Is in the top four, seven wins, two draws, and three losses, and Leicester Leicester City's back on back in the top uh, four at, at third place. And speaking of Leicester City, today a three nothing win against Brighton. Well, well, well. James Madison and Jamie Vardy making the difference. It, it seems that Leicester City is kind of back where they started at the beginning of the season, but not quite there yet. But they're getting there.
2: Yeah, they've had a real uptick in quality lately. And, you know, you got to give Brendan Rodgers a lot of credit for continuing to convert Leicester into being a yearly top four contender, building on that foundation Claudio Ranieri built five years ago.
1: It's just, you know, after what happened in Leicester City last year, you know, when Manchester United, you know, just took the spot away from them in that, in that decisive game, Leicester City just wants to go back, finish back in the top four, and they want to go. They want to win the Premier League title again. So, but as we wrap up the this week's Premier League, let's talk a little bit about Everton and Chelsea because this is one thing I really made an incorrect call because I thought Chelsea was really gonna was gonna win in a comfort in a comfortable way, but but boy was I wrong.
2: Yeah, Chelsea just couldn't convert in this game despite having 72% of the possession they had 3 shots on target 10 shots overall 84% pass accuracy there's really not a lot more you could ask if you're Frank Lampard but sometimes you just have some bad luck and the ball just doesn't go in the back of the net
1: unfortunately but from what I'm looking at the lineup. Timo Werner and Olivier Giroud were both uh, starting the game and Frank Lampard utilized a 4x3x3 uh, system formation I should say. Uh, from what I'm looking at also well Christian Pulisic was not even he wasn't even on the bench like he was not even on the list. But as far as Christian Pulisic goes, you know, I've said this many times when Steve's on the show, we have to be they have to be careful with him because Christian Pulisic is an important piece to the, to the future of the U.S. men's and American national team, so, and they're going to need Pulisic in the World Cup qualifiers, so the last thing we need is Pulisic getting hurt again, you know, in a long-term way.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true That for the U.S. men's national team, even though that's not necessarily Lampard's main concern. I certainly hope Pulisic can stay fit because well, you know, he has an incredible amount of talent. It's just he needs to get the f- maintain the fitness and just keep on improving. But sky's the limit for him.
1: It absolutely is. And, and like how you mentioned it's not <laughs> Frank Lampard's concern. Well, a, th- the future of the men's U.S. national team, that's certainly not his concern. But at the same time, I should mention that Christian Pulisic is a prized possession of the Chelsea Football Club. They invested heavily in this guy. So they cannot afford for the investment to go all to waste. So, I mean, I'll be honest. It's pretty scary. You know, if Pulisic, you know, gets taken down or anything, I mean, you are you just feel your heart beating. You're just like, oh, God, please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. But, whew, man, oh, man, oh, man. I mean, that's just what, what's become of him. Like, I feel like whenever he steps on the pitch, there's like a 50-50% chance something's going to happen. I'm just like, just be careful with this guy. The U.S. needs him.
2: Yes, certainly. You want to see him have his moments of brilliance, but you don't want to see too many moments of, you know, like you said, the terror of not knowing if this is going to be a, another injury that could sideline him for an extended period of time. I mean,
1: Chelsea seriously cannot afford another major injury because Chelsea's getting ready to uh, compete in the knockout round of the Champions League, and Christian Pulisic, his services are certainly going to be uh, – Needed much so, just gotta hope hope for the best for him.
2: Definitely. Okay.
1: But before, as we wrap up uh, the Premier League, I need to know your thoughts on Crystal Palace and Tottenham because the, 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 here's a seriously incorrect call I made because I thought Tottenham was gonna win comfortably like three nothing, but unfortunately it did not happen. But from based on it, Harry Kane, you know, gave Tottenham an early lead in the 23rd minute, and for the most game, it looked like they would hold on, but with, with about less than 10 minutes left, Crystal Palace would equalize, and Tottenham could not take over after that.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of things in this game were fairly even. Palace had 16 shots to Tottenham's 14. Tottenham had 6 on target to Palace's 5. Tottenham had 58% of the possession, Each team had 79% pass accuracy. Tottenham had seven corners to Palace's four. So overall, it looked like Tottenham was the slightly better team, but we've seen Palace do this before. They can spoil teams in the top six. They beat Manchester United at Old Trafford earlier this year. So that's just kind of the way Palace is. They're... They can beat anyone. They can lose to anyone. They got some talented players like Jordan Ayu and Wilfred Zaha.
1: That's a name that uh, you and I are certainly familiar with. Yep. But, you know, and the last thing I'm going to say is, I man, it's Southampton. The question I have right now is can they keep it up? I mean, it's still early. There's still plenty of soccer left to play, but Southampton looks really good right now. And what's on, on it's just amazing, you know, Leicester City and Southampton both in the top four, with the likes of Chelsea, you know, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal all away from that. And and looking at Arsenal now. Four wins, one law lo- uh, one draw, seven losses, fifteenth place, thirteen points. They are close to being in the freaking relegation zone. And correct. And let me ask you something, Josh. How long has it been since Arsenal was not in the top flight of of English football?
2: It's been over a hundred years.
1: So just imagine if Arsenal somehow finished the season in the position of eighteenth, nineteenth, or twentieth. If that were to happen, I don't think I don't think it will personally. But if it does. For Arsenal fans, if you think 2020 was bad, 2021 is probably going to be a worse year for you. Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. It, even as a Manchester United supporter, we have to admit it, it's it's not really cool seeing Arsenal being like this because th- put let's put the rivalry aside. I mean, the rivalry is important, and, and we need Arsenal to be on top of their game because... If Manchester United plays a... And the fact that we already lost Arsenal at home and seeing how bad they are, I mean, it's humiliating. So, that's why. It's it's not good seeing how low they are right now. It's, it's really humiliating, to be honest.
2: Yeah, Arsenal is kind of like what Notre Dame is to college football. They're that prestigious club that... The sport is just better when they're good, and, you know, if you have good teams that are at the top of their game, you know, those are just really marquee events, and they produce a lot of energy.
1: So, but, hey. yeah. Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: But I was just going to continue with the thought. 1914-15, they were in the second division, and then when World War One started, 1915 through 19... They didn't play, but then Arsenal was back up in Division One in 1919-20, 19, 19, and they've been up there ever since.
1: Well, I mean, in Arsenal's case, better hope it does. It does not change.
2: Man. Yep.
1: And I, and I like how you mentioned. Uh, you make the comparison Arsenal being like Notre Dame. So if Arsenal's like Notre Dame, uh, should I say that Manchester United is like the is like the Texas Longhorns? Um,
2: ooh, that's a good one. I've, maybe they would be more like USC. USC has had a long tradition too, and they're definitely longtime rivals with one another. I mean, the Texas Longhorns have had a very good program. They've certainly mounted up a lot of wins, but... Their championships were concentrated in the '60s and '70s, and then they got one in 05. So
1: Vince Young. You're just,
2: yep, definitely. That was a heck of a of a game. That Rose Bowl. Don't think I'll ever forget that one. Oh, but, I can
1: never forget it. I mean, I I never forget it. The way I reacted when Vince Young ran right into that end zone on that fourth and five.
2: Yeah, and don't forget that fourth down stop that set it up. when oh. they stopped Lundell White on that. But we're getting a little bit off topic here. <laughs> but, yeah, just if you look at <clears throat> you know, the sheer amount of championships won. Yeah, I would say that United might be more like SC. I just wonder where Liverpool comes in on that. Kind of hard to say. It
1: really it's is. not a perfect
2: analogy, but... I guess my point with Notre Dame was Notre Dame's a very polarizing program in college football, and seems like you either love them or hate them, and that, that seems like it's about par for the course with a lot of Premier League clubs as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, because some people, I've been asked, like, the Premier League, which college football club can you compare it to? Could it be the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the Pac Twelve, the ACC? And honestly, my answer is simple. To be honest. You can't compare European, you know, especially English soccer to, to uh, college football, you know, because, you know, I've been asked many times that if these soccer rivalries, you know, are some of them, do, do they have any, some sort of relevant comparison to college football rivalries? And I said, well, in the French League, uh, and I've spoke with uh, Steve about this before, that Paris Saint-Germain and Olympique de Marseille... I said that it might have a little bit of resemblance to the rivalry between Michigan and Ohio State because it's not just the teams who hate each other. I mean, the fans hate each other big time. So, and there's constant fights. I mean, it's, it's especially between the the Parisians and the Marseille fans. I mean, there's not just you know simple fights. You know, trading punches. I mean, sometimes people people get stabbed or some people get you know beat nearly beaten to death. I mean, these soccer these soccer rivalries. I mean, they're not they're not a joke. I mean, they're de- They can get deadly. And, and, and that's no exaggeration.
2: Certainly not. Premier League has seen their share of a hooliganism as well. I mean,
1: unfortunately, that's the embarrassing part. But, you know, it's like I said, these fans, sometimes you ask them, is it worth it to ruin your life all over a soccer game? And some of those fans are like, well, it's not about the game. It's about defending my club. I mean, I get it. You love your club, but... Is your club really going to be happy the fact that you ruined your life, you know, protecting them? Because believe it or not, you gave them a bad name, but that's just merely where I'm coming from.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true.
1: But anyway, let's get to the most exciting part of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh and I are going to talk about the best Premier League teams of all time. And Josh, since you're the guest of honor, I'd like you to start. I'd like you to start off with one of the greatest Premier League teams of all time that you have seen. So take it away.
2: Okay. Now for everyone out there, remember the Premier League era started in the early 90s. So not going back through all the years of English football, but even in the past quarter century, there have been so many good teams, it's really hard to choose. I waffled back and forth on number five, but ultimately, I'm going to go with the 07-08 Manchester United. This team obviously finished first in the Premier League, and they won the Champions League. Cristiano Ronaldo scored 42 goals in all competitions here. As a team, United scored 80 goals in the Premier League, only conceded 22 finishing with 87 points. There were multiple other teams of United's that I could have put here, but you just look at some of the star power that they had with CR7, Wayne Rooney, among many others. I just said, this has got to go up in the top five.
1: Man, it was such a fun fun season that year, and that's when I was getting into the club soccer and, and as you just mentioned, 57 of the team's 80 goals. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, he was 23 years old at the time. And look at look where he is now. You know, he's like, I believe now he's by now he's like 35, 36. I mean, you and I remember him well when this guy w- was young. He was so young. And Wayne Rooney was there at the time, you know, in his prime. You know, those likes of Edwin Ventersar, Nemanja Vidic. And, you know, at the time, the great Sir Alex Ferguson was still managing the team. Yep. Man, you know, watching that Champions League final, I was like, I told myself, you know, if I had been a sports writer at the time, I would have explained this is a match for the centuries because what better way to have the one game that decides who wins the European Championship, what better way to have it between two of the fiercest rivals in in the English Premier League when it's decided between clubs from the same country, that makes the match very unique, and that's happened before. We've seen it with Milan and Juventus. We've seen it with you know Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, I believe. Uh,
2: the yeah, list, there the was
1: goes on. Yeah, it, it it you know, unfortunately, you know, look, even even at the time, even though at the time I was a big Man U guy. I did have a lot of respect for Didier Drogba, and I'm gonna be honest. A lot of people ask me, "Was I happy to see him get ejected?" I'll be honest, no, I was not because it's not really cool when the best player of each of a team has to be ejected. I mean, I don't remember exactly what he was ejected for. Uh, if, if if you want to go ahead and remind me, uh, you, you can. But but in that game in the penalty shootout and it was in Moscow in the heavy rain. I'm like wow, I mean, the setting, the atmosphere, it all fit.
2: Yeah, that was certainly a grueling final.
1: I mean, the fact that uh, Ronaldo missed uh, the, the penalty, the first one, I was like, oh, God.
2: Yeah, of all people, you'd think he would convert, but didn't happen. But in the end, United got the last lap, so.
1: Yeah, and, and speaking of Ronaldo, you know, he made a huge mistake in that penalty because you notice, if you remember correctly, he stopped, and then he took the kick. What he did is he... Challenged the goalkeeper, but he underestimated the goalkeeper. He tried to fool the goalkeeper, but it turns out the goalkeeper fooled him.
2: Uh, you know, I can't remember that play off the top of my head, but yeah, sometimes people think too much, and that sounds like one of them.
1: See, there you go. A keyword right there, Josh. Ronaldo was thinking. If you stop and think, you, you take too much time, boom, you wasted too much time. You gotta just do it. Don't waste any time. Just take it, get it done, okay? Because if you stop and think about it, you're giving you're giving the goalkeeper plenty of time to scout you out, okay? And that's what happened. But yes, and I like how you started with this one. But since you started out with Manchester United, you know, I'm gonna talk about one that my friend and mentor Steve Adams, who's always on the show, told me about. And also, when I was uh, writing for a uh, uh, for Unfiltered Access one of the, my coworkers a uh, uh, named Owen Ravina who um, I haven't spoken to in a long time but he's a great writer he's talked also he he did a piece on it and one of them he mentioned the Blackburn Rovers of 1994 and 1995 two people told me about this club of course it was Steve and it was Owen and what's interesting you know and honestly I had never heard of the Blackburn Rovers but you know before until I was told this story by Steve in 1995 and 1994 95 <laughs> that's probably the best team of the of, of the club's history. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is Alan Shearer was part of that team. This was before his move to Newcastle United. And for that right. years, you know, scoring the league leading 34 goals, you know, they didn't that club didn't really have any big names, I mean, except for Shearer. It was the ultimate underdog, okay? and, and you know and, and this was and they became, you know, this was actually the, I believe the second season. I believe the season started in the 1992 1993 season something like that so they they were like one of the first few EPL champions so and, and and what's sad is you know nowadays you don't really hear much about the Blackburn Rovers because you know I'm not really sure what they've been up to
2: yeah they've kind of fallen from grace kind of like Nottingham Forest did after they won two European titles in the late 70s
1: could it be that maybe after the selling of Alan Shearer, could that be what started the downfall?
2: I'm sure that had a lot to do with it.
1: Because when these clubs, these small clubs, have a huge player that you know and 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 it's sold for a great deal of money, you you would think that the the club, the, the money the club makes, is going to invest in it. And unfortunately, it does not always work.
2: No, it doesn't. <laughs>
1: And and what's sad is, you know, and I had to pick the Blackburn Rovers because if, when we're talking about the some of the best teams in Premier League history, the Blackburn Rovers are one of the most underrated best teams in Premier League history that we've ever seen.
2: Yep, they sure are. All
1: right. So go ahead and give us another one.
2: Okay. My number four team, this might surprise a few people to have them this low, but I'm going with... 0-3, 0-4, Arsenal, the team that didn't lose a single match.
1: Oh boy! Oh boy! Okay, now Josh, this is gonna disappoint you because, as a Man United fan, I was I okay, I wasn't exactly cheering for Arsenal. I was cheering for Thierry Henry. I think there's a the difference. I was cheering for the player, but not for the team.
2: Right, right.
1: <laughs> I mean, you gotta understand why. I mean, Thierry Henry. You know, you know. Obviously, when people ask me who's my favorite French player, obviously the answer is Zidane. But right under Zid, right under the great Zinedine Zidane, Thierry Henry is always going to be my second favorite player. I mean, watching him just score, just amazing. I'm like, wow, just unbelievable.
2: Man. Yeah, he is certainly one of the most creative players with the ball that I've ever seen. Just a magician.
1: Well, tell us a little bit more about that uh, squad. Obviously, you know, they they did win the Premier League and, you know, didn't, didn't lose a single game, but what was it about the club that we should remember? And what did you like personally about that club?
2: Well, I mean, I suppose people might wonder how a team that didn't lose a single game only gets fourth. They drew 12 times in 38 matches, 26 wins obviously is pretty good, but that's actually one fewer than the United team that I had at five. They did have a plus 47 goal differential as they scored 73 and conceded 26. But, I mean, all in all, it was a really good team, great team to watch,
1: You know, and as I'm looking you know, from the standings from that year, Chelsea finished second with Manchester United at third, Liverpool at fourth, and Newcastle was at fifth. And at the time, I mean, you know, look at these clubs that were that were part of the flight. You know, clubs like Charlton, Bolton, Birmingham, Middlesbrough, Portsmouth. You know, the Blackburn, Blackburn Rovers were still there. You know, Leeds United was there. I mean, this was a... I mean, with all these clubs at the top flight, man... It, it's just, it's not like that anymore. Now, th- those clubs that were, I just talked about, a lot of people have never even heard of them. And I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of them until today. I'm like, I, when you don't see those clubs for a long time, you forget about them. Especially when they don't have big names or a rich history like Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool, Manchester United. Because if Arsenal was to be rele- was to stay relegated for 10 years somehow, some way, people still would not forget their name.
2: People would not. Arsenal has a huge fan base from all over the world. I've met people f- originally from India that were Arsenal fans, and yeah, this, they certainly have a following.
1: I mean, a lot of you know people in France obviously are Arsenal supporters. Be- you know, a lot of them probably became Arsenal supporters. You know, especially um, when Thierry Henry uh, was there. You know, and, and this is no surprising, but a, a lot of supporters and friends who are Monaco supporters, they're also Arsenal supporters because keep in mind Thierry Henry came from Monaco because Arsene Wenger was previously the manager at Monaco before he went to before he went to uh, London, and as part of and, and as Thierry Henry, you know, after winning the World Cup, you know, Arsene Wenger said, "Well, it's time to it's time to bring this kid to the next level. I think he's ready to play some English football, so he brought him in."
2: And it worked out very well.
1: I mean, to say that it worked out very well, I mean, there goes an understatement. But a lot of people ask, how come they never won the Champions League? Well, they were close one time. I believe, it, I'm not sure what year it was. I, was it probably 2005? when Yeah, were, I think were, it was
2: 05 yeah. when they lost to Barcelona.
1: And they were like this close from winning it. And somehow Barcelona pulls off a miracle and wins it. And, and, and there it goes, I mean. Sad part for me is I just wanted I just wanted Ali to you know I was like you know what he's already a World Cup champion and a European champion make him a Champions League champion with Arsenal. Now obviously there's a bright side. I mean Ali did win the he did end up winning the Champions League with Barcelona, but for me I'd have been happier if he had won it with Arsenal.
2: Yeah, that's true. You like to see it when an athlete can win a championship with the club they were at for so long. But, you know, it does happen sometimes where a guy leaves and, you know, he gets a championship somewhere else. guy I can think of instantly from American sports would be Ray Bork, longtime defenseman for the Boston Bruins, went to Colorado Avalanche in the 90s, and then they won it. But that's kind of a tangent there, but... Yeah, anyways, this Arsenal team, they made it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League where they lost to Chelsea. Wow. Yeah. So I guess moving on to number 3.
1: You know, and I've got a good one. And but it's the same club, but okay. I'm gonna t- let's talk about the 98-99 Manchester United team. By then, I was not fully invested in domestic soccer, but since my dad was watching it, I was like, you know what, maybe I should get into this too, because I loved watching soccer with my dad. So, okay, this was my very first Champions League match, that final, because I had not been watching it, my dad had been, but then I finally decided to join them and watch the final. Mm -hmm. All right, so it's Manchester United versus Bayern Munich. I I remember a couple of, you know, very well-known German players. You know, Lothar Mathis was one of the defenders for the Bayern Munich team. Obviously, there was Oliver Kahn, who was at the goalkeeping position. And there was a young David Beckham. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's now the manager of the team, was part of that team. And obviously, he was the hero of that game. So, for the most part, I, I thought the game was pretty boring. Because Bayern Munich scores within the first few minutes. And the rest of the game... There's just absolutely nothing going on. Manchester United, in the closing minutes, all of a sudden, Manchester United is starting to push and push and push and then getting denied, denied, denied until we reach the injury time. And then miraculously, somehow, it's 1-1. I was like, holy shit. Business has just picked up. This is going to be good. So it's like, so I told my dad, okay, extra time, I don't mind that, and hopefully we'll be, able we'll, there'll be a penalty shootout. But no, apparently Manchester United said, you know what? Screw extra time. Let's end it now. Let's just go home with our title. So off off of a corner kick, Ole Gunnar Solskjær just catches the ball and just puts it in, catching Oliver Kahn off guard. And boom, the rest is history. The Red Devils had won their first title, I, I believe, since 1968.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: Did you uh, do you remember watching that game? I do not. You know, uh, I was six years old, <laughs> but. What I also remember from that team, it's not just that they won the Champions League that way, okay? It's the fact that that team won everything that year. It's what we like to call a treble, okay? And what's yep. interesting is that they became the first English club ever to win the treble. And let's look, let's look at the names. And I'd like to uh, thank my friend Owen Ravina for showing me this because this is from a, I learned this from an article that he wrote. There were the likes of David Beckham, which I already knew. He reminded me of the names such as Ryan Giggs, Paul yep. Scholes, Gary yep. Neville, Phil Neville, mm-hmm. of course. Sir Alex Ferguson was the manager. Man, man, oh man, oh man! <laughs> but to see like them winning all the trebles, I was just like, wow, this is cool. To win like twin all the titles in one season and just you know make history. It doesn't get any better than that. And that same year, Beckham, I believe, would be the runner-up for the Ballon d'Or. But, you know what? He still had a great year that year.
2: Certainly did.
1: Well, was another one we definitely should talk about. Let's talk about okay. I know we hate. We, okay, we both hate this club. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. You and I both hate this club. But we, let's talk a little bit about Manchester City. Let's talk about Manchester City 2018-19. Well, you know what? Okay. Well, you know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll go with this one. But we'll definitely have to talk about 17 and 18. But let's go and start with this one. The way I remember it, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and finish it. You know, the, that whole season. Okay. It was constant battle between them and Liverpool, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They're just fighting tooth and nail, like literally grabbing each other's shirt and punching each other in the face, okay? Manchester City somehow won the fight. They did hoist the, the EPL title, okay? But you know what? Liverpool decided that year to do something about it. What and what they do not—they didn't go like, "Eh, we're gonna steal it from them next year." No, 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 no. no. Liverpool decided they were not gonna wait till next year to really rip the heart out of Manchester City. Liverpool decided that if Manchester City is gonna prove that they're the better team, the only way to decide that is who wins the Champions, who wins the Champions League. And Manchester City yep. did not do it. They did not. No, do No,
2: they did not. I remember in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, whenever looked like Aguero had the winning goal, but he got ruled offside, which allowed Tottenham to advance. And I thought it was a little questionable at the time. And I wonder how it would have been if City had gone up against Ajax. I imagine City would have won, but we'll obviously never know. And yeah, that would have been a whale of a... Champions League final, if you'd had City and Liverpool battling for all of it, but as it stood, Spurs got in, and Liverpool beat them 2-0, and they had Champions League trophy in their possession after being denied it by Real Madrid the year prior.
1: You know, and it's sad, too, because since Manchester City had won the EPL, and since I just mentioned... The true way to decide who truly is the better club is, to, is for it to be decided in the Champions League. What could have been Manchester City and Liverpool in the Champions League final, Josh, I guarantee you that would have gone down as possibly one of the greatest Champions League finals of all time.
2: Yeah, it certainly could have. Like you said, whenever it's between two clubs in the same country, there's... Just like another level of intensity, and I imagine if that had gone down, you'd see a separate rivalry gaining steam between Liverpool and City. Historically, they haven't been bitter rivals. Both of them hate United, but, oh, if you'd had a setting like that, that would have just absolutely lit up a real hatred for one another. But, anyways... Getting back to my top five teams, my number three team was the 17-18 Manchester City squad. They were the first team to score, well, not score, but earn 100 points in a season. And the offensive prowess they had that year was crazy. You have Kevin De Bruyne, Gabriel Jesus, Sergio Aguero, Raheem Sterling just all over the place, guys that could score. And they put up 106 goals, which is the most ever in a top flight in British football history. Only conceded 27, giving them a goal differential of plus 79. I mean, that is outrageous. (laughs) They won 32 matches, drew four, and lost two. I mean as great and as skilled as they were they just didn't quite strike me as quite the dominant that number 2 and number 1 are on my list this was a hard choice between number 2 and number 3 but my number 2 team is 0405 Chelsea this was the year first year that they had Didier Drogba, and Peter Cech on their team. And Jose Mourinho was the manager of this club, and oh man, they shut people down like nobody's business. Lo and behold, I think they only conceded 15 goals, I think, all year. It was just crazy. At one point... They shut out 10 straight opponents, and overall they shut out 25 of their 38 Premier League opponents. Okay. Even though they only won 29 matches, they only lost one. And the one team that beat them was Manchester City, and that was back in 'o four before City really rose to prominence.
0: But yeah, that... Peter, Chelsea Peter won the Golden Glove that year.
1: He—if I correct me if I'm wrong—but he kept a record of, I believe, it was 21 clean sheets.
2: Yeah, that should be about right, considering they have they held their opponents scoreless 25 times. Like I said, so just wow. I mean, I mean, even as Manchester
1: United supporters, we can deny the fact that Chelsea was in fact impressive this year. I mean, that year.
2: Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know so, and
1: I like how you mentioned, you know, this was, in fact, when DJ Drogba arrived, and and from that season, I was like, you know what, man, this is just the beginning. Chelsea is, is only just getting started, but... but And I like how before that you mentioned the 17-18 and 18, uh, Manchester City because, yes, they d- did, in fact, you know... All those re- all those records they just kept breaking and breaking and breaking, but some might ask, what good is it if they just choked in the Champions League? Because, you know, as we mentioned, th- okay, you know, and I should mention they lost to Liverpool, if I if I'm correct, it was they lost to Liverpool, yep. f- five to one on aggregate. Okay, once again, like yeah, they dominated it and they win it in, in Manchester City. Okay. And then Liverpool eliminates them in humiliating fashion in the quarterfinals of that same of that champions league of that year.
2: You know Yeah, it was like Man City's prolific scoring just went completely silent.
1: I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to him. I mean I, I don't have a straight answer for you, Josh. I can say that obviously they weren't ready. Maybe they were too arrogant. I mean, maybe. I mean, I'm not going to say that for sure. I mean, how do I know? I wasn't there with them. I couldn't tell if they were arrogant or not. Obviously. What's, well, here's a clear answer. Why did they lose? Because obviously they were not the better team. How how else could I possibly say it? <laughs> but anyway. Well, perhaps.
2: But yeah. But that Centurion City team... They won the league by 19 points. Man United was next closest with 81. I mean I remember before that season I just thought this team is clearly better than everybody else and they absolutely showed it. But then getting back to number two with the 0405 <sighs> Chelsea, they made it to the semifinals of the Champions League and they lost to Liverpool. Again, one zero, as Liverpool would eventually take home the Champions League trophy that year. And now we'll, we'll go to my number one team of the Premier League era, which would be last year's Liverpool team. It may sound sacrilege for a United fan to say, but you just looked at that team at so many points, they were just utterly dominant. I had never seen anything like it. I mean, of their first twenty-seven matches, they only drew against United in Week Nine. It was just in February, after the injury to Allison, and then the loss to Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, that the wheels just started to come off for them. But and then you had the COVID shutdown shortly after. Yuck!
0: Uh,
2: and all in all. The team finished with 99 points, but I just think if the COVID shutdown doesn't happen, they end up with way more than 99, would have easily passed Man City's 100, and I mean, if you just look at the prowess they had with Sala, Firmino, Van Dyke, as Arguably the best player in all of Europe that year. out Breakout of Trent Alexander-Arnold. And then, of course, Allison finally solidifying the net. Well, I guess he had when he arrived the previous year. But you just had all that together. Oh, man, that team was just something else. It was certainly something
1: else,
2: very, very special indeed.
1: Yeah. But... You know what? I've got a club that we really got to talk about. I want to talk about Leicester City in 2016. I mean, that's a team you cannot ignore.
2: Oh, you certainly cannot. They just came out of nowhere. I know they were nearly relegated the previous year, and then Claudio Ranieri whips those guys into shape, and Vardy just burst onto the scene.
1: You know, and the likes of Riyad Mahrez, who now plays for Manchester City, was on that club, and Conte, who now plays for Chelsea, was on the club, Kasper Schmeichel, Andrej Kamaric, man, man, oh man, oh man, what a magical year it was.
2: Yep, certainly one that will not be forgotten.
1: Well, you know what, Josh, I really want to thank you actually for coming up with the idea of talking about our best Premier League teams of all time. I know that obviously, you know, just like you, I had my own, but, you know, it was it was really good because, you know, doing all this research, I mean, you just learn so much. I was like, wow, you know, and, and this is from the stories I heard from Steve, you know, who, who just loves soccer. It's just, you know, learning about the fact that the Premier League has only been around since like a little bit before I was born. It's just like, wow, because I really thought the Premier League had been around since, like, the 40s, but... the boy, was I wrong.
2: Yeah, it is interesting how these leagues change names, but the spirit of football remains the same in all of them.
1: You know... and You know, this one, well, let, me have, let me have one more, and honestly... You you want to talk about sacrilege about Ma- to Manchester United fans? What about Manchester City 2011 2012, 89 points, okay, 89 points, and you know a semi final berth in the League Cup, okay, and you know, you know that six one thrashing at at Old Trafford, you know that that we suffered. Oh yeah. Uh, Ugh. You know. I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting a little, like, my, my head is spinning. because like, you know, why would a Manchester United supporter want to talk about this? Well, I'm not talking right now as a Manchester United supporter. I'm just, I'm simply talking about a sports writer that's, you know, willing to learn that, you know, that loves soccer because, you know, who would have thought that, you know? And, you know, if I remember that year, you know, uh, Chelsea would actually go on to win the Champions League that year. But, you know, for a team, you know, like, you would think Manchester City City would win it, but it's what we've learned so much about Manchester City. Apparently, well, as I'm looking at it, they weren't actually in, I don't think they were, were they in the Champions League that year?
2: You know, I can't remember off the top of my head if they were or not. Yes,
1: they were actually. Yes, they were. They were in the Group A with Bayern Munich, Napoli, Manchester City, and Villarreal. They got transferred to the Europa League. I think it's... Because, well, remember that year, I, I believe they started out slow. I mean, Manchester City was not off to the best start, if I remember correctly. Unless I'm getting that mixed up with, it, with with somebody else. But they did finish with 89 points. Okay. Well, okay. They did come back. Okay. You know, several far... You know, there was some bad starts. And then... You know... You know, actually, after, after just 12 games, they only had two points. Yeah. So... So it's understandable, but you know, what we learn about Manchester City is like they have the they, they have those their greatest years in the Premier League, but when that happens, they somehow choke in the Champions League. So it's, it's like it's like their curse. Like if they they dominate the Premier League, but the Champions League, they they can't seem to get through. <laughs> but you know, I I can't. I mean, honestly, not that I'm trash talking. I mean, even if I even if I wanted, if, even if I was arrogant enough to want to trash talk, I can't because. What has my club done lately? I mean, honestly, absolutely nothing. Because, I mean, even more choking. But but these top five Premier Leagues, I mean, uh, teams that, you know, we we spent this time talking about, you know, some of these facts, you know, as we were talking about it, I had had not known them. I I had to write these down on my notes before I started the show today.
2: Yeah. Actually, I think I'm just looking at it right now. They got off to a better start than you gave them credit for. Well, of course. They threw their first 14 matches. They won 12 of them. They drew two. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: I must have gotten it mixed up. Okay. Yeah,
2: because they didn't lose until week 15. Oh, okay. And then, oh, that's right. I mean, I'm, I was pretty sure that was the year that the title was United's, but they United lost on the last day when Sunderland, I think it was, got a goal and... And they ended up not winning. Anyhow, United and City both ended up with eighty-nine points, but superior goal differential was that at City, so that's how City got the title.
1: Okay, you know it—it it, well, it, it was actually my mistake. Because uh, well, when I was taking the notes, I, I read—I read the uh, thing wrong. They dropped just two points in their first twelve games. Okay. So so I apologize I, I didn't I, I just read it wrong. I mean, you know, I've seen so many Premier League you know, games, you know, I, I just don't remember I just can't remember everything that's happened you know from that time. but yeah, Manchester City was not off to a bad start. I mean, I, I just I just read the whole thing backwards. I apologize y'all. these are just crazy times, but I, I guess the excitement just got in my head, Josh.
2: Yeah, it happens to all of us. Yeah. all
1: right. but anyway. I'd like to remind everybody that Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Josh, you have anything else to say to the folks?
2: Um, well, actually, I was just looking at the 11-12 Man United slate. I was right about Sunderland being the last game, but apparently United actually won that one. And it just might, like you, it might be mixing up years right now. But anyways, that sure was a heck of a title race between the two of them. But yeah, Man City beat United 1-0 in the 36th match of the season. And that's how City took the lead and then they maintained it.
1: Well, despite that, the Red Devils are our team. Well, regardless, hats off to Manchester City because they got it done fair and square.
2: Yep, sure did. So, anyways, thanks for bringing me on the show. And, yeah, if you want to hear more of my work, check out the All Football Podcast on the Worst Take Network. And, yeah, hope to see you there. There I'll talk about NFL, Premier League, even Aussie rules football, just any pro football, we talk about it.
1: Well, Josh, again, (laughs) thank you so much for coming. And I just want you to know that you are welcome to be on the show anytime, all right?
2: All right. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Everybody,
2: have a good week.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.